0: Bloody Elbow presents the Show Money Podcast, the podcast covering the business side of combat sports in depth and provides continuous reporting on the antitrust suits the UFC is battling. The crew features Paul Gift, the economist, Jason Cruz, the lawyer, and John S. Nash, Bloody Elbow's chief financial columnist. Pay Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at bloodyelbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your experts.
1: Welcome to Show Money, the only show exclusively dedicated to the business of mixed martial arts. I'm Paul Gift, The Economist, with me as always. We have Jason Cruz, our lawyer, doing this in the car at a baseball event for his kids. He's our trooper today. Uh, and John Nash, the man who knows everyone and everything in MMA. We're recording this on Saturday, August 12th. I believe it's supposed to go up on Tuesday, just so you have an idea of the timing of when when this all was made. But uh last week, what day was it? Monday, Tuesday? I don't remember. Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. We got the um we, we we got the decision that we had been waiting for. The process took about five and a half years from when the, I think the evidentiary hearings were, what was that, four years ago? That was August yeah. of 2018. Uh, no, so 2000, tw- tw-
2: tw- 20, 2019, 20, wasn't it? 2019,
1: Yeah, right. August 2019. So four years uh, from the time we had those big hearings, we finally got the 80-page piece of paper that had basically what we knew was coming, that class certification was gonna be granted in the UFC antitrust case, but the judge had to write down his official reasoning why he's granting it, and the UFC is going to appeal, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, But so (laughs) we finally got his official reasoning, 80 pages that we had the pleasure of going through, and we're gonna give you all a good understanding of what this means, uh, what, uh, what might be coming, uh, our takes on on Judge Bulware's uh, order uh, and things of that sort. My, uh, I'll start us off really quick. I don't think it could have gone much better for the plaintiffs. My general summary is that if the plaintiffs would have written it themselves, it would have looked like this, <laughs> except for maybe the identity class part, that's about it. But we have our lawyer here. So Jason, why don't you start us off with kind of, you know, uh, 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 what this means and where we're going, things of that sort okay uh
3: first of all i didn't recognize until now a lot of parents drinking in the parking lot of a of a baseball tournament but the, uh, i guess you gotta take the load off to saturday afternoon uh anyway uh
2: just, for that, just remind me when we're done to tell you the story of my friend that passed out in the on the outfield of his little girl his daughter's little league game so i uh, that's uh that's uh for afterwards for us anyways <laughs>
3: okay all right well anyway uh to get to it uh a plaintiffs' uh, victory for the plaintiffs, definitely a victory for the plaintiffs. But as we know, the UFC is going to appeal. Uh, I, just to get this out of the way, the standard for appeal is, of uh, questions of law, which this may will be, are de novo. So the appeal appellate court will not consider what the lower court, I mean, what the, you know, Judge Brewer or any other court, uh, namely the in the tuna fish case, which we'll talk about uh, have decided so they'll they'll they'll, they'll review it refresh uh, uh, anew re- review it anew. So uh, basically the, the we look at the four elements for class action uh, to have it pass. Uh, so bear with me here it's uh, numerosity, uh, adequacy, typicality and commonality. So the first two numerosity, and adequacy we we just uh, we just accept numerosity being the number of plaintiffs that will maybe be in this lawsuit hey, we they have enough adequacy is mainly an administrative uh, task which is are is the uh, att- are the attorneys that are going to be taking handling this class action shoot if it passes are adequate enough to handle such a thing they are uh okay so the uh, the commonality uh part is where uh we take that big pause. We took that big pause because Judge Bulwer wanted to understand the olia case, the tuna fish case, which uh was uh i believe decided concurrently uh, or occurring at the same time as the zufa appeal so commonality deals and let me let me roll down here real quick here commonality uh Deals with a common contention such that determination of its truth or falsi- falsity will resolve an issue that is central to the validity of each. So it must be co- so basically common to all uh, parties in a class. Now, breaking off the commonality part here, uh, it, it was the defendants that uh, argued the uh, a component of the commonality part, which deals with predominance, mainly. Are the individual parties in a class the predominant questions in in this particular lawsuit? Are they taking? Are, are, do we have to consider individual questions of plaintiffs uh, of their legal and factual nature over uh, the entire class? So that was what the UFC was uh, was arguing in saying that this these this case should be uh broken up to uh just individuals that may take a uh, part in lawsuits individual lawsuits because if you remember this is a class action lawsuit so it hinges on uh everybody being a part of the same class otherwise if that is not happening uh the fighters must have to file their own lawsuit. so that's that that's the big issue uh so th- the olian case is where the central issue was uh that, uh whether or not that uh, the a the minimis class of uh plaintiffs were uh, harmed or not because in in that particular case the defendants argued that uh, people in the class were not were not harmed by the alleged harms that they were claiming so uh as as you guys will probably uh, pick up on th- there uh, the ufc said that based on the models presented by singer and the other experts that certain fighters were not being harmed by the alleged scheme of the ufc so that was that that was the entire issue and basically the Olean case stood for the fact that there only needed to be a capable common question uh, among the among the class. It doesn't have to be a a uh, question that they must uh, m- m- ha- that they have a a good uh, footing to argue in court. It just has to be a capable uh, capable uh, loss, uh, capable claim capable not not whether or not it will prevail there's a big distinction there and uh so basically judge bulwer decided that in fact that the predominant issues uh were uh in favor of certifying the class so there's more common questions of law among the fighters than there were of individual uh, uh, individual fighters in the proposed class so even though uh the ufc claimed that certain fighters gained from uh the models proposed by uh the plaintiffs experts uh doc, i mean judge Bullware said no that that's not the case so basically uh a a win for the plaintiffs on that particular part and so and then to go back to the last part typicality deals with showing that the claims or defenses of the representative parties are typical of the claims that de- defend uh, defenses of the class and that that was pretty much uh a drop uh, a a easy one for judge bullwell to say well you know we, we're not we're not uh, we're not determining whether or not you have uh, the plaintiffs will prevail it's whether or not they met the threshold and so uh, judge bullwell decided that they met the threshold and therefore they satisfied the elements now going back really quickly to uh, to, uh the issue regarding excluding testimony of hal singer and his model it was basically uh Judge Bulwer saying, "You know this, this you know without econometricians and these types of mo- regression theories and models, uh, we wouldn't be here. Just because it was applied to a new industry, quote unquote new industry, uh, it doesn't mean that it's uh, it's uh, it's wrong." So he he went ahead and and said, "Hey." uh we're letting that in we're letting all the expert evidence in uh so no what nothing's excluded so uh that's basically uh, teeing it up as far as the framework goes and i'll i'll, I'll probably uh add in more legal stuff once uh, you guys get going.
1: yeah i'll toss over john in a second but i'll just add real quick that part confused me when he was talking about he was emphasizing so much about how regression models are reliable because no one no one is arguing that they're unreliable they're arguing about the way it's being implemented and what I'll talk about eventually is wage share versus wage levels but that was weird he spent like yeah you know, multiple pages saying you know regression models are are valid when it's like yeah, we all know that buddy uh but but John I know you're not going to talk to us about regressions John
3: no but-
2: I, I I don't think no they're I, I don't think they're that valuable often because there's a lot of stuff I think and, and outside this case not not even involved in this case there's a lot of lot of stuff in the last 40 years where we've we've been obsessed over the math when it's like it's you know they have de facto evidence right there prima phase is the we've had people violating the law but we have to oh my god we have to build a whole model that has to show this but it's like it's obvious this person's getting screwed but that's sometimes it feels like that i know <laughs> no i think it's clear we 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 it was a it was a we'll get we don't have to get the whole thing about robert bork and the whole movement to get into the what how he just made up a whole brenton antitrust theory that uh taken over our courts and stuff over the last 40 years but anyways uh i don't know what was your what were what you directing to me what did you want me to pipe in about
1: well, I will I will tell everyone really quick in the things we're gonna be talking about. Basically, if you read this order, it kind of gets into the business side of MMA. And and as we said, he's very harsh against the UFC. So there's all that stuff. And there and, and I was surprised at how many of the of the um the stories, the anecdotes, the testimony, the right that he put in this order. But there's all that, and then there's the nerdy section. So in what you're hearing today, there's gonna to be a crossover between all the business UFC stuff and full-on nerdy regression stuff
2: yeah and and also (laughs) you got to remember too is this was clear this was a pretty clear-cut ruling by him in the opinion but people are listening that's not that's not a decision in the, the trial that's a decision on class cert he made a firm ruling on himself and I think a lot of people are reading his very pretty I don't want I guess, close to harsh statements towards the UFC, very hard, you know, very uh, emphatic statements about their business model as almost like he's making a ruling that the UFC, that's, it's not a, it's a, I would say it's almost a ruling on his part, like it's, it's almost obvious that you guys are doing this and violating it but that again we have math involved in this case so you can say that this is clear cut but then there comes the nerdy stuff later that has to be proved as well like we can say this is a clear example of stuff you shouldn't be doing but the math has to explain what the are the real damages or not so there's there's this element too so i think a lot of people because he came down so hard on the ufc and some of his some of his paragraphs in that I think a lot of people are running with the idea that this is almost like uh uh that he he made a verdict in the case and it's not this is a just him spelling out why he thinks class search should move forward into a trial right yeah
1: all right so but question to you uh, what was your what was your biggest takeaway after you read through it
2: uh how, how hard the judge how hard the <laughs> judge came down i mean that was uh the how clear-cut he made it i think in a weird way i i'm part of me is like dude, has he been listening to me for the last several years and you know uh, <laughs> uh because i i guess my point again get away from the nerdy stuff progression stuff which i never like anyways that's your that's your world i do think a lot of their business practice the, the stuff they do and and it should be spelled out too the stuff they do other businesses do boxing promoters do this other mma promoters do this the difference is is when you have an obvious market power like they do when you have 90 percent of the market there's certain behavior you can't do that's going to retain that market share and it just seems obvious to me when you read that what they've done over the years is the uh, the and i think the judges read is like it you can only look at it and says the intent of all you're doing this is only to preserve your market power to, or to attain more of it or to eliminate potential you know put up a big barrier to entry And I think that was, I found that, you know, it was kind of refreshing that someone spelled it all out, you know, all the stuff that's that's been pretty blatant for a long time.
1: Right, yeah, and just to give people an idea, right, he he talks about artificial barriers to entry of the UFC. He went through in detail why he thought there were coercive contracts. Um, He talked about the lack of cross promotion is one of the things he talked about. And that one that one surprised me a little bit it shouldn't necessarily be a barrier to entry that you don't want to work with your competitors uh but uh then dominance in the headliner market he went through all these things when i first read it first glance i just glanced it really quickly i thought there was a lot he left out but then once i read the whole thing i was like man he was really meticulous he went through all of these areas uh and he and he covered them really well um and he he i mean that has to be the big takeaway he was harsh on the ufc um, and, and 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 so Jason mentioned this, and, and maybe you can expand on it a little bit more for everyone, the difference between like what he says at class certification versus later on, because he would repeat the phrase, you know, at the class certification stage, at the class certification stage, with that standard, that sort of thing. He repeat that. But then there will be parts where he goes, where he goes, um, and to the extent the court has to weigh the expert opinions, the evidence strongly and clearly weighs in favor in favor of plaintiffs' expert opinions. And you're like, oh, damn, that's not just like, hey, did you meet this capable standard? That was that was pretty harsh. <laughs> that that stood out to me. I don't know if you guys noticed that, and if you can talk about that, Jason.
3: Well, I I just think that um, there are this is only like the preliminary preliminary stages of the litigation so we're not even going to the dispositive issues uh relevant to the case we're not even getting to the meat of this matter it's just it's just class action whether or not they are approved for class action and so they weigh those they weigh the extra the evidence based on whether or not they clear the these part these particular hurdles so um and he wants he does seem very clear in that you know hey you know even you even though you don't think they can win a trial or they can't prove this at court or they can't prove this later on does not mean they are uh ruled out here at this particular stage so you might pass this stage but uh you know they'll still have to prove up their case uh, later on so I think there there are a lot of, if you go through that opinion he, he does say just because you don't think uh, I think there was a phrase um paraphrase here. There's just there's a part where he goes, just because you don't think that they can prove uh or prove their uh their theory at trial or later on, or you don't think it's uh it's uh um a, a plausible claim, you know, they just it has to be just capable. It just has to meet the bare minimum. It has to be a C you can't seize get degrees basically if you think about it that way you just gotta you just gotta make clear the bare minimum you're and then you're over that hurdle now when they weigh the evidence obviously you know if it, it, he he's not making a you know dispositive claim he's not making he's not ruling oh if these are the anti-competitive uh measures i've decided that the ufc did he's not saying that he's basically saying based on what i see right now it, uh, it, lo- it looks like there's a, co- a recognizable claim for anti-competitive conduct. you know I'm just I'm just uh, I, I haven't rolled down the window. Uh, I've, I've just kind of peeked through it uh, rolled it down just halfway and if 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 I were to roll it down the whole way, uh, I could see that I could see it could happen. but I, I haven't gotten to rolling it down the window the whole way. so there you go quick, quick
2: question quick question for you, Jace. Um, even though he said a lot about just the class cert, what did you take about a lot of the statements seem to be he was basically saying that you know that the evidence is almost overwhelming you i mean i'm just i just pulled up the case to get because there were so many times he does this i'm just gonna read mr silva further confirmed that control over the headliner market increased even more after the acquisition of strike force clearly the headliner market was important that's the judge coming and zufa's dominance over it created an artificial barrier to entry for competitors that seems to be him saying that that's a given that they're they had a they've that their dominance over this market created a barrier to entry and he he kind of says he phrases things like that again and again and again. Well, what was your takeaway on that? That it seems like he was almost saying that this is this is evidence that is you know this is almost uh, prima facie evidence that this is the habit, or we should take it as de facto or whatever whatever oh, yeah, whatever whatever legal terms you use yes. i don't know i'm making shit up as i go oh, I, here.
3: I, I, well hey that's you, you you wouldn't you'd be surprised how many lawyers make shit up but uh i'm not here uh you, basically when he makes those defines a uh, definitive statements uh you would uh, uh you would take it as oh he's he's siding with it with uh plaintiffs but in fact while Uh, a part of me thinks that yeah definitely it's a strong way to word uh word something in an order uh another part of me thinks that you know he is just weighing it in terms of plaster He's not he's not talking about uh you know are can they prove that this stuff actually happened you know will you know uh, will will this information actually get in as uh, as evidence because then, you know, once we go to trial and we try to get stuff in like that, there are evidentiary things like hearsay and exclusion of certain tenants' testimony that they would revisit that again. There, there are certain exclusions which may not necessarily get in at the time of trial but at this early stage, this information is, I mean, He basically said that most of the information was circumstantial, so meaning secondary information. There wasn't really like primary information, things of that nature. Uh, Definitely, if he, you know, when he weighs circumstantial evidence, like you know, oh, you know, we got an email from Joe Silver saying that he's not going to go a penny further on all of these guys, or or whatnot. You know, stuff like that may not uh, get in at time of trial as evidence toward uh, proving the plaintiff's case. It may not it may not because uh you know it's dependent upon what are you what are you trying to prove with that particular evidence right Mm -hmm. so the the evidence you know again this is now when we're getting into heavy legal stuff that you know i didn't even encapsulate until like like my fifth tenth year out of uh, law school but basically certain stuff at time of trial when you are presenting your evidence for or to prosecute your case, to prove up your case, certain things may not get in because of what you're trying to use it to prove it with. So like an email may not be sufficient because it's what they deemed hearsay. You have to prove, uh, prove the truth of the matter assertive. So what are you asserting? Are you asserting that Joe Silva had the intent in his mind to uh, to, do these anti-competitive things to suppress the fire market? Or was he just pissed off at this dude for emailing him 17 times? You know, you gotta, so those are the things you gotta kind of think about at that that time of trial, whether or not they could get that stuff in. Now, can you get this stuff in now? probably it seems like the uh, based on what judge bulware was saying with the expert evidence it in my opinion it didn't seem like he was weighing that too heavily he wasn't like it going over it with a fine tooth cone. It seemed like he said for the for the, all of the expert testimony, both UFC and plaintiffs like, hey, everybody in, everybody in, we're taking everything. That's okay, you know, as long as it's within the realm of possibility. Uh, that's what I, in my opinion, uh, it, it felt like to me. Now, we, uh, now with respect to later on, when you get to trial, you have to prove these things in a certain way uh, to go to court. And the, you, one, it's proving your case, two, it's proving your case and then proving the damages that go with it. So there is, I mean, we're not even getting to. We are not even near that point of where, hey, if they go to trial, how are they going to prove this these damages? And will Hal Singer's methodology will that hold up uh, when we talk about trying to prove up damages? It held it hold held up now because it's it's just a capable notion. But you know, when the, the threshold gets higher to prove damages, you know, what will they think of then?
2: There's also also the possibility too right when you present your evidence in the trial you got to think about what 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 the how the jury's going to interpret it you want to present stuff that the jury can comprehend and then will add to your case and you're sometimes you're like we don't want to throw this at the jury because this might confuse them or might lead them to go to down paths we don't want them to assume is that correct and
3: and that's why yes yes and that is why if this i mean no one will want to go to trial because it's going to be a crapshoot it's going to be a fucking crapshoot uh as far as what they can bring in who can testify what the what documentary evidence they will provide uh, will there be new expert uh, reports new expert testimony based on the damages you know it 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 could be a crapshoot if we get past the stages where the ufc can no longer uh dismiss the
2: case and here, I mean, that's a ways down because we have the appeal we'll get in a second. But on the trial part, I mean, I've always assumed that if we get further up along, that a trial is coming. That both sides are going to be forced uh, to settle because, for the UFC, the potential because we should talk about this a second, they they put injunctive relief back on the table, and you have massive damages, possible treble if you go through trial, and injunctive relief. And for the plaintiffs, it's like do you want to after all these years and the possible of having it even drag on longer in a trial and further appeals and the possible do you want to risk losing after all that too so I just my assumption is if we get if we ever do get to the trial phase I think we have to have a settlement because neither at that point both sides are on the brink of looking on the overlooking over the edge of the cliff They're like that's it we can't go we can't take another risk but we should get what did you guys make of that that he brought up uh injunctive relief again he said that's you know, that was something that was going to be kicked on the I thought they were going to kick that can down to the next uh, case. But now he's saying, you can these the, these fighters are actually uh, they're eligible for it if they want yeah,
1: to. yeah, we've got to pass that one off to Jason. That was at the very end. It was confusing to me. I had never even noticed it before. But it was basically for, for those who uh, you know aren't aware, he certified the bout class as a class action. But then it was something about certifying the bout class as a class action. For injunctive relief, so this is what everything else before is liability and damages, uh, and this was injunctive relief. And he was, and he said something in there like the plaintiffs didn't make some argument, and I don't want to f- like guess it for them. So, and, and that's why we're having this here. Did you guys or Jason, our lawyer, yeah. did you catch that and yeah. figure out what the hell that was about? <laughs>
3: uh, I don't. So, I basically he said that the, uh, the plaintiffs haven't really outlined what the injunctive relief would be. And so injunctive relief essentially is non-monetary relief. So you're not asking for money, you're asking for something else to happen. So what is that something else to happen? That's why he wants that possibly have a hearing upon it. So I don't know if it's like they want to amend contracts. They want to maybe they want the independent contractors to be able to work in other organizations, you know, shit like that. I don't know. But like that would be the injunctive relief to me. And uh, Boulware, it seemed like was uncertain as to what the plaintiffs wanted for that for that fact.
2: Can I know too that one of the defendants were arguing that they shouldn't get injunctive relief because there's no current fighters, that they cannot re- represent current fighters. And Buller po- pointed out that three of them were current fighters when this case was filed, so they mm-hmm. should be allowed. But I, I think we have an idea what they want injunctive relief because we have two hints. One is in previous complaints, they laid out a possible solution to the problem, and that is fighter contracts can't be more than one or two years right? Uh, 12 to 24 months with no extensions whatsoever. That's one idea they want. The other one is Rob Macy has brought this up on, um, I guess the, uh, ABC convention recently, uh, possibility is what the IB, what happened to the IBC of New York that for five years, they cannot have exclusive contracts. That's I'm guessing it's gonna be something like that, that that's gonna be their pitch of what the, you know, the, 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 the relief they would see from seek from the court which again that's going to be but that's why I don't think if it gets to trial the UFC settles because you do not want to risk that being actually ordered by yeah. the judge that would be really
1: interesting to see them actually have to put that in writing though and I just want to throw in there at everyone the funny part came when he was like when he was like basically you know uh the fact that this case has gone on for nine years of course there's not going to be any current fighters or whatever as as yeah. plaintiffs like dude you're the reason it's been nine years <laughs> it's all you and he's like pandemic delay i'm like okay i don't think i'd buy that yeah i don't you know no, i want money I, I buy it Not i'll, give, that, him credit.
2: I'll <laughs> give him credit for one thing he beat george rr R. martin to getting it done before yeah. him that's it that's <laughs> i'm going to give him credit for that but holy crap <laughs> that took a while
3: yeah i mean just a general thought on this it it didn't have to take that long i know a lot of it i i just infer that it was the Olean case the tuna fish case that is the reason but still you know it, it he, he didn't have to do that he, he he didn't he didn't have to do that he could have still relied on present case law and and we wouldn't have to deal with just this long uh elaborate delay because i mean my thing is okay the, the, he had that thing teed up so okay the only case is uh denied by the supreme court last year uh so why not do it at the beginning of this uh like beginning of 23 2023 why didn't he just issue it then I mean it was I because I, I personally wanted to see what what the what the deal was with the hold up it was and they cited only it I mean it was key but it was like four times just four times they they cited the case
2: yeah I was I, I read it all 80 pages read the whole thing glanced at a second time and I, I I think one of my first reaction was okay what was the hold up what what section did he have to rewrite because I'm reading like all this stuff was from almost all of it except for the small sections of oleana all that was from the hearing material we had it like a year by after the hearings everything was there so
3: yeah it was like he just wanted to he was waiting for one paragraph to put in there like everything else you could have just i mean we could have just done it at the beginning of 2020 everything was in there already i mean well
1: i don't know we need a behind the the scenes reality show of his life (laughs)
2: So,
1: yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, that's uh <laughs> But hey, my my one of my takeaways was, you know, I I I, I still think we'll we'll get into more of the, some of the academic nerdy issues where there's a very good chance it, that this gets overturned appeal, and I'll I'll say what some of those are. And this is going up on a Tuesday. I plan on putting a um, article out and Forbes on Monday, um going through you know some of the blistering things that he said, but also some potential at openings for UFC appeal um so if you want to look at that when you're listening to this i think the title will be judge rebukes ufc and antitrust class action order leaves openings for appeal something like that if you want to google it um but after reading this i was you know i always thought that because of the academic nerdy things there's a good chance this doesn't make it past class certification but i was like definitely not summary judgment but now i don't with hearing the way this judge wrote Unless literally in his mind, he's like, I'm writing this harshness based on class certification standard only. And if I like you were saying, Jason, if I change the standard to summary judgment, which is would any no reasonable juror looking at the evidence in the best light for the plaintiffs would no reasonable juror side for them, that kind of thing. I'm (laughs) like, I I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how it wouldn't get past summary judgment now after reading this. So it feels like if it gets past this appeal, it's going to trial. Uh, Unless he has that compartmentalization in his mind where he could be harsh on this standard and then change the standard and change some of his wording or some of his thoughts. I don't know. But man, I guess we keep reiterating it. He he, he tore into them (laughs) very bad. But did you guys notice that monopoly power was gone? Mm hmm. I just, want to, I just want to pat myself on the back for that really quick.
2: Well, the, yeah. No, Can we say no. it on two for two, please? No, well, uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: Monopoly brought... Well, wasn't, wait, wait.
2: wasn't I the only guy in the last couple of years that said they're going to get past class, cert?
0: To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today.